Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Liz. Hey, I'm Liz, and I'm here with Peter. Hey, Liz Davidson, how are you? I'm doing great. It's been a while since we've done a podcast together. I'm so delighted to be back on. Well, it's actually been since episode 17 that you and I have been on a podcast episode together, because you were on episode 138 with Mike, but I wasn't on that because you guys did historical war games, and honestly, you talked about how tired you are tonight. It could have been, you know, first thing in the morning, and I would have fallen asleep on that podcast, so. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> but yes, actually, uh, that episode that I was on with you is the first podcast I ever did, and it is just a fond memory for me. Yes, and now you have your own podcast. I do. Yeah, I'm about two months old now. I just started my own podcast. So I am everywhere on the internet is Beyond Solitaire. So my podcast is very creatively named Beyond Solitaire. But it's actually not just solo games. I've been talking about all those historical games that make you fall asleep, but in ways that I think are actually really interesting. I've been getting to have some like cool conversations with designers, with a professional war gamer. I just recorded an episode with a couple of guys who are in the military and were able to talk about war game simulations at work versus hobbyist war gaming in their, in their off time. And uh, I even interviewed my previous high school teacher who taught me how to play Axis and Allies and set the stage for me to become a gamer later in life. Very cool. Well, I mean, I joke about falling asleep during historical war game discussions, but I did listen to your episode with uh, Mike and it was awesome. And then actually, wasn't Mike your first guest as well? Uh, no. So I picked a really unusual first guest for, I think, a gaming podcast. I, there's this scholar who works at the University of Missouri, who is an expert in ancient gaming. So I just had this classicist on to talk about ancient games from Greece and Rome. Oh, that is very cool. I mean, I'm Greek myself. You might not have guessed by my last name, Gusis, but it's definitely Greek ancestry here. The the Greeks and Romans had good games from very early on, and we learned all about it. So that was episode one. But my episode with Mike was awesome, too. I've always wanted to have like a teacher conversation with him, and so it was really cool to get to do that. And Eric Slauson was with us, which was also great. That's right. That was just this past week. I'm I'm getting my, my timelines mixed up. I know you did your one of your first live Q&As with Mike, right? That was, yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, I now also do Dice Tower live chats. I'm busy. Um, <laughs> I know. Stop. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mike was my, my first guest for my uh, my very first daily chat on the Dice Tower. It was so good to have him there because he's such a good friend. And you know you want to spend your first hour being live on YouTube with somebody that you trust and feel really comfortable with. And he was great. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, today we haven't even talked about what we're going to talk about today. I'm so interested in what you're doing that I forgot all about our topic today, which is something uh, it's actually a very little known game, something not many people in the co-op community are talking about. But it's uh, a little game called Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. So, you know, nobody really knows what Gloomhaven is. It's not like we covered it in episode 14 or anything. Yeah, I mean, I really like to talk about things in the gaming underground, you know, just kind of bring a little bit of uh, secret gaming stuff to the people. Yeah, it's our hipster mode. We're going away from the mainstream war gaming and historical gaming to go in the closet with uh, this hipster hipster Gloomhaven stuff. Exactly. That's what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> nice. Awesome. And we may be joined in a little bit by Jeremy from Man vs. Meeple and Jambalaya Plays, but if not, then I'm going to cut this out and you won't know anyway. So there you go. Perfect. All right, but before we get too far into today, we have some people to thank. 
for our Patreon supporters. We have Melinda Humphreys, who's a co-op lover. Nick Skeen, who's a co-op champion, and Jason, who's a co-op lover. So thank you for all your support on Patreon, and if you want to support us, that is not the only way to do it. You can also leave reviews on iTunes or whatever you listen to us on, and then if you want to support further, go visit Liz on Beyond Solitaire, and she'd love to have you guys listen in there as well. Absolutely. The more the merrier. Very cool. All right. So Liz, you been doing anything lately? Like, what, what have you been getting to the table? I've actually started a big project with trying to go through all my stuff for Eon's End. It's one of my favorite games. I'm just giving myself a little COVID treats, you know? <laughs> um, so I've got a reset pack and I'm replaying through Eon's End Legacy for at least a couple games for my channel. I'm about to re- review that for Dice Tower. I'm going through all the major releases and kind of getting straight in my head what's in each box. And I'm going to be making some videos about that. Uh, on the war game front, uh, I've got Warfighter. I'm so excited to learn that one. Uh, I just got For What Remains from David Thompson. That is actually a post-apocalyptic game, but I think of him mostly as a war game designer. And I've also been working on Charlemagne, Master of Europe from Hollenspiel. Oh, nice. Now, let's go to Aeon's End, because that is one that truly has a spot in my heart. It's probably still my top favorite deck builder of all time. Which So I stopped after the second expansion. So when Legacy came out, and especially because I learned that it was like a, a kind of step backwards, kind of an introductory game, which is funny that we're talking about Jaws of the Lion today, which is, you know, that same step back supposedly for Gloomhaven. Although I'll talk about my different thoughts on that for Gloomhaven. So there was a Legacy and then there's like the campaign pack, right? Came out after Legacy. So I haven't done any of that beyond base Aeon's End and then that first expansion. So what do you like about the new content, or what, what part of it would you recommend people go to if they go to it? Or do you say, eh, you don't need it, base game's fine by itself? So I think that the base game is a perfectly good place to start. So Legacy, a lot of people are recommending it as a place to start. And I think if you've never played it before and you want the slow walk through some of the mechanisms of the game, then yeah, sure, it's fine. But you're going to be fine with the base game, too. I started with the base game, and years later, I'm still playing it. I think that people fret too much about where to start. You should just get the first thing that seems cheap or heads your way and just feels right in the moment and just do it. But for you as a Aeons and veteran, do you still enjoy Legacy, which kind of holds your hands through those first couple missions? So uh, I will spoil my review a little bit just for you, Peter. Uh- <laughs> Don't worry, nobody listens to this anyway. It's fine. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so I will say that I think that Legacy was a good idea. I don't think it's the best Eon's End entry. I think that there's, you know, they talk about some of it being able to roll over into the main game. Those first scenarios are too easy to be properly balanced against a fully fledged Breach Mage. Right. And then the later scenarios are very much balanced for the market that you acquire throughout Eon's End Legacy. Okay. So I'm actually not convinced that there's enough that comfortably goes from Legacy into the base to make it great for that. And I also, you know, playing back through, it reminds me of how, eh, you know, some of these early bosses are not the most exciting. If you're already a veteran, honestly, if you skipped it, you, you'd be okay. But it's still good. Well, I'm a veteran and I skipped it, so I'm glad I'm okay. Now, how about the uh, campaign stuff? Because that's Steve's favorite way to do it. So what are your thoughts on that? That you'll have to wait for. I got to hold something back, man. But no, I like campaigns. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. We'll, uh, I'll make sure to listen to it. We'll have to uh, put a link in the show notes, like proactively or 
post-actively. I don't know exactly what word that I'm looking for here, but basically, retroactively. I think that's the right word. Yes. We will uh, basically go back and put a link in for your review of Aeon's and Campaign, and uh, that way people can g- come listen to that as well. Absolutely. Speaking of retroactive, I'm glad that Gloomhaven finally retroactively got a tutorial. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, let's get into Jaws of the Lion. That's uh, our, our big one. Although, I, I do have two things I want to talk about that I've been either playing or looking forward to. Number one, the new Keyforge set comes out tomorrow. And so, spoiler alert, when we're recording, we're recording this Thursday night before the uh, Sunday that this episode release. So, Mass Mutations, I'm so excited. I love Keyforge. My son and I play that all the time. And I just thought about it. His mom's taking him camping this weekend. Gosh darn it. No! I'm going to have to get my daughter to play with me. So uh, my wife and my actually 15-year wedding anniversary is tomorrow. And for our anniversary, she's taking my son away and leaving leaving me alone without anybody to play Keyforge with. So I just thought about that. That's the worst anniversary gift ever. That's cold. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> but another game, and, and I don't, I'm curious to see if you played this one. So everybody who has listened to us before knows Mike hates Euros. And I have been trying to play more Euros now that we're coveted away. Like, I just, every once in a while I get a fix that I need to play something that I just know the rules to and just know it like the back of my hand. And this is a game that I hadn't played in years, but the rules came back to me so quickly and it was so easy to learn again. Which is interesting because a lot of people, I think, think of this as a heavier game. And that's Great Western Trail. Have you played that one? You know what? I have, I have never played Great Western Trail. Oh, it's so good. And I'll tell you, the tabletop simulator mod for it is actually really good. And it doesn't even do anything fancy. All it really does is set up. But that game is actually so easy to play that you can play it no problem and learn it on there. We taught it to Mike on there. And he liked it so much, we actually played it a second time. All in the course of the last week, week and a half. So that's such a good game. And I taught it to my daughter. So that's probably what I'll be playing all weekend. She's nine. She... She doesn't latch on to a whole lot of games that I typically play, but for whatever reason, she latched on to Great Western Trail, so I'm sure I'll be playing it some with her this weekend as well, so looking forward to that. That is definitely the silver lining in your weekend of abandonment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm going to go get Keyforge as soon as the game store opens tomorrow, play a couple of games with my son, and then we'll happily ship him off camping with his mom, and uh, Alice and I will whip out Great Western Trail and end up playing that all weekend. Hey, that sounds really good. That's a good weekend, actually. Yeah. Hopefully it turns out that way. Usually what happens is they abandon me for a screen of some sort or another. So that's why we end up being solitaire gamers, right? It's true. Although, you know, I I also like it because I'm selfish. You know, I get to play the character I want to play. I get to make the choice I want to make. Forget everybody else. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's okay. Sometimes you need to do what's best for you, right? Especially with everything going on in the world right now. Sometimes being selfish is okay for a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I haven't even been... I haven't even been gaming enough. I've been I've been doing a bunch of jigsaw puzzles because they're just so calming. I've actually started to review those for my channel as well. Nice. So there you go. Go to Beyond Solitaire for historical gaming, for war gaming, and jigsaw puzzles. And then stick around for the solo and co-op material too. Yeah, Marco Arnado, you know, Marco Omnigamer does the same thing. So I'm not alone. There you go. All right, well, let's get into Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, and then afterward, we're going to talk about dungeon crawlers in general. That's going to be our discussion for today. So without further ado, let's get into Gloomhaven, and I'm going to start with the theme, which is where we always start. If you know Gloomhaven itself, then you know it's a fantasy theme. If you don't know much about Gloomhaven, you can go back to our episode 14, where Mike and I review it. I'm not going to... 
actually repeat any of the things I talked about there today. My goal is to kind of do an updated list of things I think specifically about Jaws of the Lion. If you want to hear my thoughts or Mike's thoughts on Gloomhaven, go back there. But it's in, this is set in a unique fantasy world. It's set before the actual original Gloomhaven game, so it's a prequel. And the Jaws of the Lion is a mercenary group, and you're part of that mercenary group. And at the beginning of the game, I'm not going to give away too much, but you're working to find this blacksmith who's been killed, and you're hired by his wife to go find him. Well, I guess you don't know whether he's been killed or not, although you ironically keep calling his wife the widow already before the game started, even before you know what's going on with him. Uh, <laughs> but you, you are at the beginning of the game out searching for him anyway. And so that is how the game starts. Oh, I, I like that you brought up the widow part because you actually do catch yourself. It's like, well, we should probably not tell her that she's a widower. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this in the top, my top. Yeah, five, we will. The, the story here is, uh, is interesting and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. So I didn't want to spoil too much. But that's the the basic theme. And then gameplay is almost identical to Gloomhaven. They've streamlined it a little bit, taken out some of the like road cards that you did. But basically, it's a dungeon crawl where on your turn, you have a hand of cards. And you usually start out with anywhere from like 8 to 10, 12 cards. And you select two of them to use on your turn. In the middle of the cards is going to be a number, and that'll be your initiative number. Everybody selects two cards simultaneously. You all flip it up, and then you flip up a card for every group of enemies on the board. You look at who has the lowest initiative, and you rank everybody in initiative order. So if I had the one and you had the two, I'm going to go first, and they go all the way up to, I think, 100 or 99. So maybe the enemies have 62, something like that. And you just order everybody in initiative order. But on your turn, you are going to look at the two cards you played. You're going to play the top half of one, which is typically an attack action. You're going to play the bottom half of the other card, which is typically a move action. And that's basically it. I mean, you have items that you can use to supplement your actions. You have other things you can do, but that's the gist of it. Every mission has its own objective, and you're trying to achieve that before your guys all get knocked out. So that is the the basics of gameplay for Gloomhaven. I'd say that about sums it up. And so now we're going to get into our top five. And I've talked way too much already, so we're going to start off with Liz. But for those of you joining us for the first time, because we know Liz tends to bring us an audience, so thank you, Liz. I'm shocked at the concept that I would bring you an audience, but I'm glad that I'm here because this is always fun. We, we've got the Liz fans, the Liz followers, <laughs> trust me. It, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> So now we're going to get into our top five list, starting with Liz. And our number five is the thing we think is least important about the game. And number one is the thing we think is the most important. So Liz, go ahead. Take it away. What's your number five? All right. So this is the least important thing, really. And yet it was important to me. And it's that I can actually put Charles of the Lion on a shelf. Like, I really (laughs) appreciate... So I, I sort of feel like because we've already... I mean, Gloomhaven's a game that people have talked a lot about. I actually have not reviewed it because I haven't been able to finish the full campaign because leaving it out on my table takes so long, etc., etc. That's that's a whole other story. But I really like Gloomhaven, and I really like Jaws the Lion. I'll just spoil that right away. And part of that is that it's actually a manageable size in all respects. But actually, physically, I was so happy to go pick it up and have a normal size game that I could bring home and put on a shelf with other games. And that still had a lot going on. You know, just the compactness of it. It makes you realize that maybe games that are great don't also have to be enormous. Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. Although, were you able to get the lid back on your game? I was. 
fortunately the game is the game box is pretty deep so i will say the storage wasn't quite what i wanted once all the little monster standees and stuff are in their baggies and everything but yeah i was able to get the lid back on okay i have the lid on it's just probably a half an inch higher than is intended and i don't know how to get it all the way on without you know potentially forcing some damage to stuff or removing the insert which i actually do think is good it's not one of my top five things but i actually think the box storage is pretty good in the game and one of my number one experiences with the game and it's not on my list so i'll i'll talk about it here because it does have to do with the box was the first time opening the game and the first thing you see is this instructions on how to punch the game out and how to bag it and put it away that was great it was amazing like No, not every game needs this. And maybe because my original experience with regular Gloomhaven was so bad with this because they didn't tell you at all how to bag stuff. And I don't think they knew how to do it, to be honest. And that's why. So this is just one of those benefits of experience. But them telling you to put the monsters in the same bag with the monster activation cards of that type was so genius because that's like, it took me a while to figure that out, you know, (laughs) with the original Gloomhaven. But once I did that, it it made setup time so much faster. I mean, it's still not going to be fast. But, yeah, I was so glad that they put that that, that box opening experience and punching experience was actually very joyful because of that. So I I thought that was kind of neat to kind of go along with your the box fits on the shelf number five. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the other thing is that I think a lot of gamers have this problem, not just reviewers like me, but I have too many games. My apartment is full of games. I've got so mini games everywhere and just having one that is actually a manageable size that I can slip into the game collection and not feel like oh man do I need to like get another bedroom in my next apartment for all these games (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a gaming bedroom is that your guest bedroom no that's my gaming bedroom when I buy a house you know it's happening (laughs) nice all right so my number five is that it is compatible with Gloomhaven The characters can all be transferred to the main game and the battle goals. And the interesting thing is, even though it's a smaller game, there are actually more battle goals in this than there were in the original Gloomhaven. So you don't get repeats as often. So those battle goals are, you know, things it asks you to do in order to get check marks. You know, it's like a third of a progression point, whatever, at the end of the mission. It's amazing, though, how instrumental those battle goals become like how out of my way i go to do things that are totally stupid and you know for this minor little benefit the reward isn't that much but it's amazing how much they change my gameplay experience do you find yourself doing that as well with those perks or with those battle cards oh yeah if i think that i can just get that little extra bump i'll do a lot i mean i'm like that kid you know Again, so you're not a teacher, but you've probably experienced this. You know, kids don't want to do their main assignment, but if you give extra credit, they'll do crazy stuff to get it. Right. And I kind of feel like the manacles are like that. I'm also really excited about it because I, you know, haven't finished my Gloomhaven campaign, so I can still get some good utility out of those. I'm not quite done with Jaws Line, but once I'm done, done, I'm going to be able to take that and then put it into the campaign that never got finished. And I'm really excited about that as well, because I think it'll spice up the original outing in ways that are going to be really pleasant. And it's almost good that I waited. Yeah. And one of the nice parts is if you have characters you didn't play with in the main campaign, maybe your gaming group or whatever else, somebody grabbed that character and you wanted to try them out. Well, guess what? You can do it here in Jaws of the Lion. You could take those characters from Gloomhaven and bring them backward to Jaws of the Lion, too. So I think it's really neat that they let you do that with the characters. I mean, it's smart, obviously, as a marketing design as well. But 
I mean, it's a nice thing also, and not every game company does this, but there's a page that shows you exactly what can be brought over and what can't be brought over. And again, it's just those two things. It's the characters and the goals. But it's nice that they called that out, and they even tell you how to implement the battle goals because a couple of them are repeats. They say just take these nine goals out or whatever and shuffle them in with the rest of your goals that you already have. So I just thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, I think actually it's interesting you mentioned like, oh, not all publishers do this. I actually think that this is more possible because, you know, this is Isaac Childress's passion project. And Gloomhaven is his big thing. And then his next big thing was Frosthaven. And then this kind of shows up in the middle. You know, this is a, a system that the designer has lived in so deeply that I think that we're getting the benefits of that level of attention and passion. And I actually am really curious about how Frosthaven is going to turn out because in some ways, you know, we'll get there. I think Jaws of the Lion surpasses regular Gloomhaven in some really unexpected ways that I hope will make it into the next big box installment. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Trust me. I I know what you're talking about and it's at the top of my list because I think it's so important. Trust me, we'll get there. But for now, what's your number four? My number four is that even though the story, I think, is more humorous and the the little choices are are actually more fun and it's well written, I do still think that the story is just okay. And I think that this game had, you know, without to be spoilers, right? This game had the opportunity maybe to push the idea of narrative in games a little bit more, but I'm not convinced that it did. That's not necessarily a bad thing because really I'm not playing Gloomhaven for the story. I'm playing it for the card play. (laughs) Sure. Which we'll mention later on my list. But I, you know, it is something that I was curious about. And while the story is serviceable, charming, fine. You know, I, I'm still waiting for that campaign game that really just kills me with the storyline. Yeah, I'll talk about the story a little bit later. You, you guessed that. Although I will say, what, cultist summoning stuff isn't new for you? And that's kind of a spoiler, but not really, because you punch out cultists when you're punching out the, the the character tokens. I mean, it's not too much of a surprise that there are going to be cultists in this universe. Yeah, it feels like I've seen a lot of cultist stories lately, and uh, I don't totally disagree with what you're saying there. Yeah, and I mean, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, even with Indiana's End, which I won't talk about it too much, right? Campaigns are fun, but that doesn't mean the story is necessarily really all that great, or that it's going to have very many twists or turns or surprises. It's there to, to keep the gameplay hanging together, and it's the great gameplay that really matters, Right. But I, I'm still, and we'll talk about this probably actually more with dungeon crawling in our in our later discussion. But I still think that I'm waiting for the perfect hybrid of gameplay and story. I find that things like kind of lean one way or the other. Sure. So for me, Gloomhaven is something you play for the game. Legacy of Dragon Hall is something you play for the story. But I don't know a great hybrid. Yeah, we'll definitely get in that in our dungeon crawl design discussion. But my number four is the rules. And so for those of you who don't know, the rulebook is done differently here than base Gloomhaven. There's a learn-to-play book, which kind of walks you through the first five scenarios, and you're learning more rules as you go along. And then there's the glossary. So this is the Fantasy Flight-style two rulebook. One teaches you how to play. The other one is, like, a better reference. And to be honest, I love this system. I know not everybody does, but I love the two rulebook system where you have just the basics you need to get the game to the table in one rule book. And then when you have rules questions, you could look them up in the other rule book. I think this is a little bit of a, more of a mix for me, though, than that would lend it to be. And that's because the glossary doesn't have all the rules in it. 
And that drives me crazy when all the rules are like spread across different places, but they're not ever in one place. Like Fantasy Flight has learned their lesson in this, I feel like, whereas that glossary has everything you need. Literally, there's a setup. If you look under S, you see setup. There's end of the campaign stuff. There's whatever. So, I mean, something so simple as I couldn't figure out how to end a mission in Gloomhaven because there was nothing in that glossary that told me how to end a mission, like what I'm supposed to get. I mean, it would have been so simple to write at the end of the mission, you get your experience bonus, you get whatever the rewards say, and, you know, you get your gold, whatever else you're supposed to get for that mission. You know, it, it could have been a list somewhere. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a, a minor nitpick because these kind of things will show up online. But they did such a detailed job in that glossary of showing you how monsters move and all this stuff. But they left something basic like that out. And it kind of drove me crazy because it's like, such an easy step but you need to do it after every game like reading a city card you know sometimes i forgot to do that because there's nowhere i can go to look to say do this one two three four five so that's my only little nitpick with this double rule book thing i wish all the rules were in that glossary but i I do love it in general the two rule book thing when it's done well yeah i feel that the thing that's so funny about what you said though is it's always the very simplest thing that gets left out because I think this is a perspective thing too, right? When it seems so obvious to you, it's really, really hard to remember that other people might not find it that obvious. You know, I encounter this in my work all the time, but also, you know, I'm an ancient historian. There's a reason that we don't have any of the rules of ancient games is because everybody thought the rules were obvious and so nobody ever wrote them down. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's it's just such a natural, funny problem to have. And, you know, maybe the next printing or the next iteration will fix it. That's... Just such a classic little blip. Yeah. And even on the back... So the back of the rulebook, or the glossary, I don't think has anything. But on the back of the Gloomhaven rulebook, there's a quick reference sheet. And they didn't do that. Now they have quick reference cards, which are really good. And they have a lot of stuff on there. But that's... I mean, that was a perfect spot to put a combat summary and a end of the round summary. Or not even end of the round. It's end of the game. Between game summary. So, yeah. I think it's a missed opportunity But, like you said, they can fix that for the next printing, no problem. Absolutely. All right, Liz, what's your number three? Okay, so my number three is kind of a nebulous point, but we're going to go with it. I think that Gloomhaven does legacy gaming in a way that I really like because it doesn't take away your ability to go back and try it again with a different character. And it's also worth going back and trying it again with a different character. I guess you could say leveling is fun. I really love pushing Gloomhaven characters up through their whole development arc. And I like that in, you know, I think regular Gloomhaven is like this too, although it's so long I haven't tried it. But Jaws the Lion, you know, other than that little map board with the stickers, you can pretty much rebuild anything that you changed or start again from the beginning with different characters. And... I really, really like that because it's enabled me to play solo with two of the characters from the box. (laughs) And I'm also playing, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, you know, a game that I've just started with my boyfriend and we each took a character. So everybody in the box is getting played and I'm able to actually manage both campaigns because the game allows me to do that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is my number three is the character progression as well. 
You know, we talked about the leveling. You can level up your attack modifier deck. You can level up your characters. But one thing I didn't realize, and one thing Mike and I actually complained about in the original Gloomhaven, is when you lost the mission, you had to do it again. Now, one thing I guess I didn't realize at the time, and I thought this was new in this one, and it's not, is you get to keep your golden experience you accumulated, so you still are leveling up going through that character progression. But the other part of it is, I think people who like deck building might like this also. Because what I've realized is you can really customize your deck as you start leveling up. Because at the beginning, you have three extra cards. So you can kind of customize your deck for the mission itself. But then as you level up every level, you're adding a new card to your pool of cards that you can deck build with. And I've actually found that I've needed to change out my cards for some missions to try to beat it. So now knowing what's ahead, it's interesting. I think like Lord of the Rings, the card game players might like this because you can customize specifically for missions. And I think it's neat how not only are you upgrading stuff, but you're upgrading stuff in a way that you can later customize and change. Now it's not 50 cards, right? You might have six, seven, eight cards that you can swap in and out, but it's still kind of a neat thing how you can customize your deck for a mission or for your playstyle specifically. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, I mean, I feel like our, our threes kind of synergize because, again, that is the thing. So the reason Gloomhaven is worth playing again and why I find it okay to play the same missions over and over again is because of that element. You know, it's it doesn't bother you to know the story as much because the what you're focused on is like, ooh, how can I build this character? How can I customize this? Ooh, can I get a new card now? Ooh, ooh, ooh. And the other thing is that I love deck builders. I, th- I would say deck building is probably my favorite game mechanism ever. And I love deck construction. I ended up as a solo gamer because I thought Magic the Gathering was too expensive and I knew I could construct decks as part of Lord of the Rings living card game. <laughs> so Gloomhaven, just enough does that for me and it's something that makes it really special as a game now i want to head back to your number three real quick though because you said legacy and this is interesting and maybe we'll get into this discussion much more deeply when you we go into the design discussion but for me this is not a legacy game i'm sorry that's fair and even the original gloomhaven they're like oh legacy these legacy legacy i mean you're not doing it. it's a campaign game campaign games have been around forever like i understand the difference between legacy where you're ripping something up in permanent but you mentioned that map like so you put the stickers on the map and like x out things as you go through it yeah i think the map is just a cute extra honestly if you didn't even have it you could probably play the game and have a perfectly good time um yeah cuz i don't use it <laughs> I don't use it at all. I literally write down, I'm, uh, I have mission one, two, three, five, seven available to me, and that's all I do. And actually, I find it more useful because I can write notes about what the mission is, because that's one of my complaints about, especially the base Gloomhaven. By the time you have four or five missions available to you, you don't even remember what they are anymore. You're like, this one's 57. I don't know what it is. You know, <laughs> like it's the right. docs. Okay, what does that tell me? It doesn't tell me anything. So I write little notes. Oh, that's so smart. I write everything on paper. I actually, I don't think it's a detriment necessarily, but I do think it is because, I mean, those are really nice maps and people might want that, but that's, I mean, that's a production cost that I don't think needed to be in there and they take up box space. I mean, it's not insignificant space and I was looking at the original map. It's huge. For what? Just to put a sticker on it that says number Mission 25 is now available to you? Come on. Like, I don't know. I would have rather... Remember in the base game, they had, like, a tear pad for your party sheet? And you could just write the mission numbers down there. 
Like, you didn't need the whole map thing. So that's literally the only legacy element where you're stickering stuff, at least for where I've gotten. And I, I don't know that you need that. I like the opening the boxes stuff. That that part's cool. I like that part of legacy. But no, there's no permanence needed here. No, no, no. I mean, I think the map is amusing. I like putting stickers on things. It satisfies a certain part of me. I, you know, it's fine, but we could live without it. I, I think when I say legacy, honestly, it's probably just use. It's, it's very loose terminology. I think people now refer to campaign games. Oh, it's green legacy. The only thing that's really legacy about it is that you find out what happens and you open boxes and get a sneak peek of things. Yeah, um, the opening box is part of legacy I love. And, and it does have that. So I'll, I'll give it that. But come on, you don't need the sticker stuff. I do not disagree. Cool. All right. So that that's my rant on legacy versus campaign because like that that drives me crazy a little bit when people are like, oh, I like legacy. I'm like, no, that's a campaign game. Sorry. Uh, anyway, so what's your number two, Liz? So my number two is something I would have mentioned for regular Gloomhaven as well. That card play, it's just so good. It's the thing that makes Gloomhaven worth it in every way. I love the system where you pick two cards, you play the top of one, the bottom of the other. You know, you don't necessarily know if your plan is going to go off correctly because you don't know about initiative until after you flip. And I love it. I love looking for new card combinations. I love looking through my hand and trying to figure out, oh God, what should I play right now? What if I lose a card when I get tired? Like that entire aspect of gameplay is fantastic where when you have to, you know, pick up your discard pile and you lose a card from the round, it represents you getting tired. It can also really hurt if you lose the wrong thing. And I love that you can take in, uh, you know, basically you can give up a health point in order to kind of, pick a different card if it's really your favorite it's just such a nice decision system it really is if you think about it it's not that complicated it's not like gloomhaven is a complex game but the choices that emerge from a couple of relatively simple decisions you have to make is just classic like there's a reason that you would do that again and again and again for hours and hours and hours across a whole campaign and it's because that specific card play structure is fantastic yeah, spoiler alert for those going back to episode 14. I believe that was both Mike and my number one back in that episode. The card play in this game is amazing. And it's funny, I think Mike had only mixed in cons for like the entire review, and I was pretty negative on a lot of stuff too. But our overall review was glowing because that one card mechanism stands out so much, as you were saying there, above and beyond any negatives the game has. So I agree with you totally. That card mechanism is why you're playing the game. And it's amazing how with just, I mean, a basic attack action on the top, typically. I mean, yes, there's healing and other stuff and moves on the bottom. It's amazing how much flavor they create with those and how much diversity they create with those and how every character feels different, even though they don't really have that much to play with. It's it's design mastery, really, when you look at it. Like, if you are looking to design diversity in a game, as far as mechanics go, with a simple set of stuff, he does it here flawlessly and creates theme with it, too, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you also get those deeper choices like, oh, do I sacrifice my move on the bottom of the card to pick a bottom card that gives me some sort of status boost, but it take, makes me take a risk? Or, you know, it's, it's just so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, he does a lot with a little, that is for sure. And yeah, anyway, all right, enough glowing. So my number two is the cohesive, and I wrote short in quotes, story. And I agree with you that the story is not 
it's nothing you're going to remember years down the road, right? And tell your friends and your family about, oh man, you have to, I mean, Pandemic Legacy Season 1 has moments that you will never forget in your life. I don't know that this game has moments that you'll never forget in your life. But what I will say is it's a cohesive story and it's linear. And the reason it's so high on my list is because Gloomhaven itself, I don't think had this. And this is where Gloomhaven was a big miss for me was because the story was very hard to follow. Like, I had no idea what was the main mission, what were side missions, what was going on in the world. I couldn't remember half of what was going on because there were so many side stories happening at the same time that I had a hard time focusing on the main story. Here, I got the story. And this is going to be a personal preference thing, too, because I like more linear games where it's like, okay, this is where you're going to go next. Figure out how to get there. And maybe you got five ways to get there, but you're still going to point B. It's not point A leads to B, C, D, E, and F. Like, some people like that openness. I personally like to be led down a line because I like to get a cohesive story at the end of the day. And this does that. And this is the biggest, well, second biggest (laughs) advancement for me uh, over base Gloomhaven is the story itself and how easy it is to follow. That makes a lot of sense. I think that while the story isn't the most creative story still it is more cohesive it is more charming it's funnier yes it's got a lot of spirit to it and it does add to the flavor of the game so that i would not dispute at all all right liz so if the card play was your number two what on earth is your number one number one and everybody talks about this but it just really is that important it's the tutorial missions it's the tutorial missions it is the most important innovation to this game in my opinion, that we could have had. The number one set of complaints I hear about Gloomhaven proper is that people do not like the first mission. They have a bad experience in the first mission. They lose the first mission. Well, that first room of the first mission is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. Like It took us like four times to get through that first room. It was ridiculous. Right. And see, I think that's a problem. It's actually, you know, it's really funny to talk about things coming full circle, right? That was the thing that we really complained about badly when we talked about Dragonfire, that first pod I was on. The tutorial mission that they had was really hard and it was a turnoff. But with this tutorial set of missions in Gloomhaven, the only concern I have is that, you know, do people play games five plus times anymore other than (laughs) us? Yeah, that, that, that is a potential problem. But the fact that it leads you through the game mechanism so beautifully, you know, this is the, I have a lot of hope that my boyfriend and I will play through a large part of the Jaws of the Lion campaign because I set up, you know, the first couple missions and he took right to them. No problem. You know, he's not somebody who games with me all the time, but he knows how to play games and he just took to it. No problem at all. It was so easy. You literally open the book and start playing. And I mean, we had the advantage that I already knew basically how to play, even though I wasn't totally sure it would be exactly the same going in. But, you know, it's it's just such a good thing. And even if I'd finished out everything Jawsline had to offer and was just waiting for the next Gloomhaven installment, I would keep it so I could use it to teach other people how to play the game if I was going to play it not solo, if I was going to play it with somebody else. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And the only thing I'm I'm curious about, and I did not have this experience, but I have heard a little bit of talk on our Slack that some of the Gloomhaven veterans were annoyed having to play through those first five missions. 
I don't agree with that. I actually, you know, that that's what my concerns were with Aeons and Legacy. It's like, I don't want to start at ground zero when I'm at page five. Now, I don't feel like I'm at page five with Gloomhaven, so maybe it, that's why it's different for me. But I didn't mind the ramp up at all. It didn't feel like a dumbed down Gloomhaven. Because as we've talked about, the important part of Gloomhaven is the card play. And that is there from mission one. So it's not like the game is dumbed down. The extra stuff in the game is dumbed down, right? You don't have those mission goals at the beginning. You don't right. have the, the coins at the beginning. You don't necessarily have... I can't remember if the traps are in the first mission. I think they are not, right? So, like, some of the hazards and things aren't there, but you're still playing a tactical card Gloomhaven game. So, to me, it didn't bother me, but I think for some veterans it might bother them, but I like the fact that they didn't dumb it down so much that they lost the soul of the game. You know, you're playing Gloomhaven from game one. They, they did really smart there, I think. Right. Also, if you know what you're doing, seriously, how long does that first scenario take? Like, ten minutes, maybe? It's right. not hard. Those are fast. I wouldn't... I mean, to me, the glory of being able to easily teach something to somebody is something that far outweighs any complaints that I would have about, oh, I already know how to do this. Well, so what? You have a new character, get to know their cards. Even the little touches in the tutorial are so good. Like the uh, intro cards having text on them that tells you how they work exactly. Or the little tips that are in the scenario book, which actually I probably should have mentioned at some point. So the setup is also better for this because they have that scenario book that prevents you from having to set up all these tiles. You know, the thing that has kept me from playing more Gloomhaven in my life is, oh, I'd have to set that up. No. But you can get a game of Jaws the Lion going in just a snap. Yeah. But, you know, that philosophy goes into that tutorial. It's so easy to start. They give you little hints about things in the map. They give you little hints about things in the cards. And it makes new people feel comfortable. And, you know, in a world where all we talk about is making people feel like they have more access to games, making people feel better about games, making people want to keep coming back to the table. That's a great, great thing to have in a game, especially one as massive as Gloomhaven. Well, you led right into my number one, because that's my number one is the scenario books. I mean, it is a million times better than tiles. Everyone in the world who's making dungeon crawlers stop having maps and separate stuff and start doing everything in a book. Frosthaven, Isaac already said he's doing tiles again and not going to the books. Change your mind, Isaac. Go back, do the book. I, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why you'd want tiles over the book. You get more thematic pictures, right? Because every scenario will have a map that is thematically tied to whatever is in there. You can have separate maps for each, so the artwork can be unique. Yes. Rather than just generic, boring tiles where you got to throw stupid stuff on it, like 50 million overlays, just to make it usable or viable. Forget it. I've heard complaints from people that they don't like the fact that you can see what's coming up in the next room. Let me tell you something, people. It's called a piece of paper. Literally, I grab pieces of paper and cover up anything past the door. And then you won't see what's coming up in the next room, and you won't know what's what's going on. It is a simple fix. And in Gloomhaven, you had to set up all the maps anyway, so whoever set it up was going to see what was coming up. I have a Gloomhaven confession to make, too, about the main campaign, which is I totally just started using the same monster standees no matter what monsters it was. Did you get that from Mike? Mike did the same thing. No, I just... I actually have not listened to y'all's review of Gloomhaven. I didn't want to spoil myself. (laughs) But, um... I 
just got lazy because it was too much of a pain in the butt to do any of the actual technical stuff I was supposed to do. That I was like, yeah, this is good enough. That looks like an obstacle to me of this type. Like, that looks like a monster to me of this type. I really yeah, like the more yeah, thematic Yeah, Mike uses mask. the same standees for every mission. He does. Yeah, that was one of his tips for getting it to the table faster. Well, you don't have to do that here because there aren't that many enemies. I mean, there are. There are enough, but there aren't that many that it's a big deal. And it's right there. The picture's right on the board where to put them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so for me, this is by far the biggest improvement. It takes a game that took me, literally, people laugh about it, like, no way it took you that long. It took me at least a half an hour, probably 45 minutes to set up every scenario by the time you pull everything out of the box, maybe even more than that, for every scenario for Gloomhaven. So, yes, it's a great game if you can leave it set up. But even then, every mission, you got to break everything down and set everything up again. So, I mean, the setup and breakdown time of that game, I, I would say no less than an hour between setup and breakdown for each mission of that game. Whereas here, it takes me 10, 15 minutes. I timed it the other day. It was definitely no more than 15 minutes. So, just being able to open the book, it shows you the picture of the thing you need right there. You put the standee on the thing. And again, pro tip... If you don't want to know what's in the next room, literally grab a sheet of paper and put it over the anything past the door. It is easy to do, and it's easy to not spoil yourself on what's coming up. And I do that every time. I actually use one of the rule books, typically. That Learn to Play book, you don't need it after the fifth mission, typically. So I just use that to cover up what I, what I haven't seen yet. That's a great idea. I'm going to steal that immediately. Um, <laughs> but... I, I I can't agree with you more. This it's it's a game changer. That sounds weird saying it about a game. It is. It really makes my experience of Gloomhaven more positive. I actually think I saw on Twitter somewhere there was some chatter that Isaac Childress might make books available at an extra cost for Gloomhaven and Frosthaven. I would buy it. It would be so worth it. I, I would buy that for Gloomhaven in a second. No questions asked. Because then I'd actually play it more. I I would get more play out of it if I bought it. It's worth the extra money. I'd do it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for a game I've already spent money, because that's the only game in my collection that I own an insert for, because I thought that they were that important. I spent 80 bucks extra to buy an insert for this game. Just to get the game to the table faster is so important. But if I could get rid of all those tiles and all those overlay little, like, chests and, and library things or whatever else the heck they are, pillars, if I can get rid of all that crap and just put a book on the table oh yeah that would be worth every penny of however much you would charge for it yeah i would shed a tear of joy if i could have that right now yeah well because we get the game to the table right that's my biggest thing that keeps gloomhaven from getting to the table is that barrier to entry that setup time and tear down time and if he could take that away with a book it'd be worth every penny because i would get value out of the money i've already spent so, yeah, absolutely. Please, Isaac, reconsider doing these books for everything. And, you know, it's genius also. Like, not only is there a scenario book, there's a supplemental book. So if the map's too big, you can make the map bigger by adding a second book to it. And I had never thought of that before. And I had never seen that before. But it makes so much sense. And it's so good. So, I don't know. Isaac, brilliant move there. Please keep it going forward. Oh, yeah. So, you know what's interesting is, before we, I guess, go into our dungeon crawl discussion, I, I did want to say, I was thinking about this, you mentioned veterans kind of complaining about the intro scenarios and stuff. What is wrong with making something more streamlined and easier to enjoy? I just think that that is the best thing that you can do for any game, is to make it easier in the sense that it's easier to play, easier to get to the table, easier to access, 
and almost any price is worth that, especially for a game that's as good as Gloomhaven is. Well, and you're not taking anything away, right? You're not making the game simpler. You're just making it more convenient. Correct. Yeah, no, it's streamlining components, not streamlining mechanisms there. But by streamlining the components or making the components better, and that's honestly what's so great about Great Western Trail. The iconography is great. The reason I can get it to the table, literally, we played that game. I hadn't played it in over a year, and I taught Mike on the fly how to play without looking at a rule book. And the only reason you can do that is because graphic design is so good. And it's the same thing here. If you can streamline that experience, if you can make it so obvious, if you can have the words in the book. And I mean, it's funny because in those first couple scenarios, they kind of point to stuff. Hey, don't forget this and this. I wouldn't mind if they did that all the way throughout the game. Like, remind me what green terrain is at some points. Maybe not every scenario, but maybe every third scenario, because maybe I haven't gotten to the game table for a while. Why not? I mean, you've got the sp- if you've got the space, do it. So, I mean, I don't mind those helpful hints and tips and stuff. Right. I wish they actually had that for video games, because if I let a video game sit for too long, I'll be really far along, but then I'll start again and I won't remember any of the controls, and it's horrible. But I also do think that the streamlining makes the good parts of Gloomhaven pop more. Yes. It's like taking all the background noise out makes you reappreciate just how good the good parts of the game are. I mean, for me, uh, this is the experience I want from Gloomhaven. And not only the fact that it's more streamlined and and the book helps a lot, but I don't want 100 missions. I want 27 missions or whatever this one has. Every part of this is more approachable and more appealing to me because I don't want to have that commitment of, you know, 99 scenarios in a box, personally. Yeah, if you had to tell me, if you told me I had to give up one, I would probably keep Jaws at this point. Yeah. I 100% agree. And, I mean, that's saying a lot, right? Because Gloomhaven is literally the number one game on BoardGameGeek. Yeah. So, I mean, not that that means everything in the world, but, I mean, it means it's popular. Absolutely. And, and for me, this is a step up in every way. I am not nearly as excited about Frosthaven as I am about what I've been playing with Jaws of the Lion. Like, I'm super excited. I want to finish the campaign. And I might take some of my favorite Gloomhaven characters and bring them over to here and, and play through it a second time. That's also a great idea that I'm putting in my back pocket for later. All right, everybody. Well, for the first time ever, we have a special guest joining us mid-episode. So it's Jeremy from Jambalaya Plays and Man vs. Meeple. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, party people. How y'all doing? Uh, Yeah, really excited to be here, man. Really excited. So thanks for having me on, and thanks for being kind enough to bring me into the fold. Uh, I'm a little late, man. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem, Jeremy. We're glad to have you. Look, you're a busy man. You've got uh, your own channel. You're working with Man vs. Meeple, and uh, everybody wants you on their show, so we get it. So uh, if you haven't heard Jeremy before, he's uh, first appeared on our podcast on episode 128, so not too long ago, talking Atlantis Rising with Mike. Definitely go back and listen to that. And where can they find you? Just look on Man vs. People, man. Just look on Man vs. People. I have Solo Sundays. That's it. Solo Sundays on Man vs. People on Facebook. There you go. My promo's over. Yeah, we got, <laughs> we got Dice Tower here. We got Man vs. People here. Yeah. we're just a little show we're the little nobodies over here we're oh, uh, you know one stop co-op shop out of nowhere nah. nah you guys do it big too cut it out <laughs> cut it out <laughs> alright well let's get into your final thoughts then on Gloomhaven Jeremy so Jaws in a Line for me is almost a perfect game it's almost a perfect game I was at a perfect score for this game 
and I decided to not go with it just for some small little things. But to be honest with you, this game is very accessible. It takes what Gloomhaven had minor flaws in and corrects almost all of them. And that comes with the little fiddly bits that have, uh, that was in the big game and it kind of broke it down and condensed it. It's still a little fiddly because you're still holding the bits of the game and having to deal with all those little chits. That's part of it. It's not a video game RPG. You got to actually make the RPG out of it and do some of the things and flip the decks. That's okay with me. It doesn't bother me. But I do like the craftiness that they use with these components. Uh, they made the book come together and kind of you know, kind of glue things together and, and take away the tiles. And that just makes everything so much quicker, set up and take down. And of course, what this has been gushed over is the tutorial. And to be honest with you, like if somebody's going to play even the big box Gloomhaven, I would break this out, play this, uh, like play the first scenario and, and then maybe just play this. And that's not a knock at Gloomhaven. It's just that like they created the most awesomest onboarding process for this game and this system of game. Uh, the gameplay has been really, really good. Of course, the Gloomhaven two-card system works, uh, two-card playing system works, and also the deck shedding that happens over the game always going to create that intense pressure, which is something I love about Gloomhaven. Every character has its own pressure, and it also has its own like big, bad, awesome moves You know that this one character has. Yeah, My favorite being Hatchet. Just because it's like I could picture him throwing this big hatch and being like, give me that thing. It's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, he's the one I'm playing through too. Right. So it's like I love that feeling uh, that I get when I play these characters. But I also like the Voidwalker that is kind of like the puppets on the string type character. You know, it's like I like that idea uh, on off turn, you know, on your turn, you're kind of making people do stuff for you and you can really make a good combo out of that. Uh, and she's super, you know, and super squishy at the same time. But I like the elements that go. I never play. I didn't play with the uh, Boulder guy, so I don't know what his experience is like. But the Red Guard was okay. But I feel like it was kind of like a mesh of other characters from Gloomhaven. Sure. And that that kind of fell short for me a little bit on that one. But the big one, the big flaw that I always find with these Gloomhaven, both Gloomhaven games thus far, and actually anything in their universe, Founders of Gloomhaven, um, the writing is just kind of weak. <laughs> Liz said that too. <laughs> I did. <laughs> the kind of writing is just, you know, it's not, it's actually not terrible. It just goes into the point where you almost just want to skip to what am I doing here versus like, let's read this long script. You just want yeah. to know like, all right, what's the mission goal? What happens when I open room one? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I, I just feel like it's for, it's enough where it becomes forgettable, especially because you're playing these longer campaigns in the game. When you get to mission 45 at Gloomhaven, yeah, I wasn't reading anything. And for Jaws of the Lion, I got to six. And I was just like, I think I'm done reading. <laughs> like, right. I'm sorry, man. That's just after the tutorial. And I was like, I think I'm done reading these. But yeah, that's that's the only knock on this game. Other than that, man, we're talking like four out of five, nine out of ten, whatever you can write under that perfect because it's about as close and i would almost recommend it to gloomhaven which to me is a perfect game so outside of that flaw like that little flaw that's in there and i still think yeah. it's perfection because of what it does what it does overall well it sounds like you had a lot of the same thoughts that liz and i had liz's number one was the tutorial my number one was the books like the scenario yeah. books not having to set up those map tiles for an hour before the game yeah. and clean yeah. up for an hour and you know we both said the same thing that we preferred playing this over gloomhaven for those things yeah no sounds like we're we're on the same page with this one 
And I'll say one one thing here. Since I've played Frosthaven, it's like, holy Isaac, you're a genius. <laughs> like, he's a genius. He's a math yes. genius. Yeah, he is because his games aren't broken. His his mechanics aren't broken. You know, it'd be one thing if we were looking at Gloomhaven stuff and like somebody goes, "Man, this game's broken." It's when you play with this character, you can do this every time. I haven't, I really haven't yeah. heard that. I have not heard it honestly. So that just lets me know, you know, we're in good hands with these games. But Gloomhaven Jaws of Line is a perfect entry point. It's a perfect transition. It's a perfect break. It's like I said, perfect, 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 perfect. But still holding some of the small flaws that is part of Gloomhaven. Just better set up and more organized. Uh, you don't have to pay for the Meeple Reality Organizer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. which uh, which I said is the only organizer I own. That's the I spent eighty bucks. I spent almost as much as I spent on the game on that stupid organizer. But it, I feel like it's necessary for base Gloomhaven. Not not for this game. I actually think the storage is fine in this game and actually pretty good. Storage is just fine. There's less bits. There's less enemies. So it just gives you a little bit more of a like I said, just a lighter experience. But the game, the the, st- the pressure of the game. The intensity of the follow, you know, the last couple cards, when you get down to those four cards, and you're like, holy crap, or you got to burn that ability, now you have three cards, and you're like, all right, so if I don't make it, are we going to make it, or am I, t-? you know, those things are there. If it, that's why this game is my second favorite game of all time, Gloomhaven is my second favorite game of all time. It's just, I, I can't explain how great of a puzzle it is every time you play, and Jaws of the line, it just sits right there next to it. It should it should be stapled to yeah. it. Like Well and and you can, you know, put stuff between the two, which is great. You know, not only the characters, but the goal cards too. So it's great. We're not having that conversation because we haven't played it enough yet. Yeah. You know? Alright, so now that you've heard all of our thoughts on Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, let's get into a discussion on dungeon crawls. So, Liz, we haven't heard from you in a little bit. Let's get us started. What are your favorite dungeon crawls that you've played? And, and is is it a genre that you enjoy? All right, so I'm going to be real. When somebody says dungeon crawl, my first thought is that's going to be boring. <laughs> because I feel, like, I feel like dungeon crawls, a lot of them tend to feel very similar. Um, I will admit that the, you know, like the D&D, Castle Ravenloft, Legend of Drizzt games, they're okay, but they don't do it for me in a big way. Uh, Actually, Gloomhaven is my favorite dungeon crawl. And I also love stuff like Dungeon Alliance. I like the ones that do something a little bit unusual or that require some really good card play from me. I do not tend to like games that are kind of like trying to simulate D&D without a dungeon master, but you're just doing it with dice. Because I don't think that the storylines in board games are necessarily strong enough for that. I'd rather just play D&D. So that's my overall feeling about it. Interesting. And Dungeon Alliance is one that is a deck builder as well. And I know you said deck builders are probably your favorite genre. So I wonder if that leads you more toward that gameplay. Oh, yeah, for sure. The gameplay does it for me. And I think that that's actually where it comes down to it, right? I have to have, for a board game, I want really, really good gameplay. And I'll play pretty much anything if the gameplay is really good. But I'm not going to inherently hear Dungeon Crawler and think that is for me because, first of all, there are lots of different kinds of gameplay that you can see in a Dungeon Crawler, but also because just inherently they don't necessarily pull my interest. But if they do something interesting, then I'm in. Although I actually do like Four Against Darkness because it's so flexible and you can really make what you want out of something that's that simple. So, I mean, there are always exceptions, too. Sure. Yeah, how about you, Jeremy? So you said Gloomhaven's your number two. Is your number one also a dungeon crawl? 
Uh, no, my favorite is Mage Knight. Correct, sir. It's not really a dungeon crawl. That's an adventure game. But yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of dungeon crawl games. Uh, so a lot of my top ten games are gonna be dungeon crawl games. Uh, partly because I just like that feel. I'm a kind of a Final Fantasy guy, Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy Tactics, Battle Ogre. You know, like these games that are like a little bit of top side, but mostly in the dungeon kind of thing. Octo, what is it? Octo Traveler. Those types of things where I'm in a dungeon. Um, and when I came in to board games, I picked games that were like that. So that's kind of the heart of what I like. But I don't play them as much anymore. I do buy them like crazy. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't necessarily play them as much as I would love to because, of course, the time commitment. But, uh, yeah, this is like my favorite genre pound for pound. Yeah, it's funny that you said the time commitment thing, because I feel like that's the big part about dungeon crawls. You know, whenever I think of a dungeon crawl, I also think of campaign play, and almost all of them have that. Yeah. And you're right. They're such big time commitments that that is by far the hardest thing. Now, in this COVID world, you would think we'd have more time, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you also need people. I guess that's part of the other problem. Uh not necessarily, because right. a lot of these probably, you know, can be played solo. Yes, they most of them can. It, that's the thing. It, there's an advantage, but at some point, like especially in, let's say in COVID situations, we can play solo, and that's great. Or you may, like you said, you have your son. That's great. My son's right here. He don't want to play <laughs> with me. So well, that's because you're trying to teach a mage knight. Come on, man, start with something a little easier. <laughs> right. But I think after a while, you also want to play with other people. Sure. You know, after a while, it's like, dude, I want to play this with my friends. Like, I want to play Cthulhu Death May Die again, but it's like, I kind of want to play with my game group yeah. now. You know, like, I'm tired of playing that that game solo, I, or I have to save that game for my crew, you know. But that's what Dungeon Calls do, though. They give you a world to dive into, which is, that's, that's kind of what I want. I want a thematic experience. I want something I can dive in a world and stay in the world, and that's what I love about these Dungeon Calls. I also like episodic versions and not always campaign versions as well. Like I like that we have those as not, well. well. And Death May Die is perfect example of that. I mean, to be honest, it, it's it's one of my favorite dungeon crawls that have come out over the last couple of years, and probably because of that, I can take it out, pick a scenario, pick a boss, mash them together, and just sit down and play, and I don't have to worry about what the story is or where I was last time. So no, I do like that we're getting those options more and more now. I think if that game, that what that game is doing becomes more popular, then like I'm so down for that. But it's like at the same time, like I'm so attracted to something like Madara, where I'm, I'm going deep in this core dungeon, big me- mechanisms, you know, like and, and investing all this time in these characters because I'm in a fantasy world where I believe that I have time to invest in these characters. Right. I don't know, man. I, I, I like I'm so into that. And when I play it, you know, when you're playing it for the four hours that Saturday, you're like all in. And then as you pack it all up, you're like, oh, crap, I'm going to go home and unpack this <laughs> right. to enjoy to enjoy said experience yeah. again. You know, and it's like. So uh, I find it really interesting that you're talking about getting invested in characters, because that's actually something that I've traditionally had a hard time with in analog dungeon crawls. So in Gloomhaven, it's actually not a problem. I, I get really, really invested in those characters in part because the level ups feel so good. Yeah. But I've actually had a much easier time becoming attached to my characters in sort of dungeon crawly or JRPG type video games. And I don't know 
what the disconnect is. So I really, you know, I thought it was awesome. You mentioned Octopath Traveler, for example, which I, I do enjoy, although I'm not necessarily into sort of grindiness anymore because I'm old. Not really. <laughs> but um, that's the thing I think that I'm still looking for in board game dungeon crawls is that feeling of attachment to a character. Cause I don't get that attached, which is why it has to be gameplay or nothing for me with these. We have the dice chuckers right? and there's different types, right? There's the dice chuckers. There's the, the card play versions. And there's like some that have some odd me- mechanics in there. They're kind of a mesh of both. I think dungeon crawlers need to get a little more savvy. Like they need to kind of take adventure game elements like the new Batman that I just saw, that new Batman that just came, and they share actions, like they can pass the actions along and different things like that. I just think that dungeon crawlers need to get more innovative. And Gloomhaven did that, and I think that's why it's a huge attractive game. But at the same time, like Shadows and Brimstone is great because you just chuck it a you just chucking a ton <laughs> of dice. And so is, you know, and it's like same thing with Cthulhu. It's like at the at the end of the day, I'm like, what do I really want? Do I want great card play or do I want to be like Cthulhu? Like, oh, that didn't work. Guess what? I'm gonna risk my madness. Let's roll it again. Okay, that didn't work. I want to risk my madness. Yeah. Do it again, and I feel fine with that too. It depends on your mood. I I think those right. two complement each other really well. If you're in the mood for deeper, heavier play, and not that Gloomhaven is deep and heavy, but you're certainly making more strategic decisions than you do in something like Death May Die, but. There's something so satisfying about Death May Die and just playing and getting it to yeah, the table. Like you said, sometimes you're just in that mood to roll a bunch of dice. Yeah. Now, have you played Dungeon Saga? I have not. Neither have I. Yeah, Dungeon Saga is literally like old, old school, walking through the dungeon, dice, adjacency, you know, like very, very basic rules. And that's why I came in. Like you walk in. You open up the door, you place all your characters. Uh, Hellboy does that. Like the new Hellboy, that game does a similar thing. It's just like walk forward. Mantic Games as a whole. That was a Mantic game. Uh, Mantic Games as a whole does these kind of basic dungeon crawlery type games. And I like those games, but I move away from them. And now I favor games that give a little bit more. uh, One of my favorite games, top 10 game for me is Folklore. Because it does both. It does a lot. So that's the one where it gives you a campaign that you're satisfied with that you're going to stick with for a while? Yeah, it, it's the one that, like, when I was in it, I was in it. Uh, Kingdom Death Monster, like, when I was in it, I was in it, you know, uh, in the world, staying in the right. world. And, like, that's the thing. When we're talking about this, I'm, like, talking over myself. I'm, like, I don't know what I want. <laughs> like, I don't well, know what I want. I, I know this genre is what I love, but I, I don't know what I want from it anymore. Well, but that's kind of the great part about it, right, is it meets several of your needs, and it's probably why you have so many games in your top ten, because when you feel like playing Gloomhaven, it doesn't mean you feel like playing Kingdom Death. And one of my favorites also is uh, Deep Madness, you know, and that game has a totally different feel for me as well. It's a much more puzzly dungeon crawl than, than any of the other ones I have, and the nice part is that you can get different feels from different games you know zombicide something like zombicide i don't feel the need to play anymore because cthulhu death may die fills that niche for me right that that dice chuck in random quick get it to the table play a scenario and then you put it away you don't have to think about it again i think that's the nice part though is there are these different niches i I would even say like nemesis is a dungeon crawl honestly like it it's like there's games that are like dungeon crawls like just because you're not in a freaking dungeon oh right absolutely (laughs) it's the same idea like, and I think to myself, like, maybe that's what I want now, like more adventure feeling to it. 
I don't know. It's I'm sitting here having this, literally talking it mentally over myself and thinking like, God, this genre needs a refresh button or something. I don't know. Well, we've got one that'll hopefully come out at some point that that'll hopefully give you a lot of what you want, a little bit of everything. But Liz, I do want to get back to your question about characters and why we don't do that. And I think the difference between an RPG and a dungeon crawl is characters in dungeon crawls typically don't have their own stories. Yeah. And so what you see is your team is doing this and your team is doing that. And because they don't know what characters you're going to select, they typically don't even call out the characters by name. So you don't get a feel for the personality of the character based on the story itself. And that's one thing I think you can do in RPGs and in computer RPGs, which we aren't doing in board games, is you don't have a personal journey. You know, your team is doing this, but your character isn't on their own personal journey. That's a good way of putting it, I think. Yeah, you definitely don't get as much attention on individual character personalities. Although actually something Jeremy was saying also kind of caught my attention and made me have another maybe related question, which is talking about things that have dungeon crawler-esque mechanisms but aren't in a dungeon. I mean, how many adventure games that we play that are essentially uh, ostensibly adventures are basically kind of like dungeon crawls that are happening on land? And does that impact the potential breadth of a story or are dungeon yeah. crawlers defined by, you know, go kill loot? Yeah, I mean, because you look at Mage Knight and it's clearly, you know, with Runebound in that adventure game genre. But honestly, you're running around, you're killing monsters, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's more, a little bit yeah. more to it. Yeah, you can I mean, do a dungeon crawl. Right. I mean, I don't think so for whatever reason, which is funny because Dungeon Lions, which you mentioned earlier, is really very similar to Mage Knight but yet for some reason feels like more of a dungeon crawl than Mage Knight. I feel like it's something to do with like opening a room and seeing a bunch of stuff in there and maybe having objectives. I, I don't know. That, but also Dungeon Alliance is a team-based game. So maybe that takes you back to the idea of a dungeon crawl being something that you do with your team. Even uh, Unbroken, let's not talk about Golden Bell, right? But the premise of Unbroken is it's a solo game because the rest of your party died in the dungeon. Yes. Okay, so like Legends Untold is like a game where the, the story basically puts you in like, hey, this is happening to your town, off to the dungeon. You know, like, hey, uh, read the script, one card, okay, back to the dungeon. Like, you know, like, so there's, I, I guess, then we're talking about the weaknesses of dungeon, uh, dungeon crawlers, and that's usually whether the story hits or not, because uh, you were saying something about characters, and I was just thinking like, Sometimes these dungeon crawlers just, you think they do a great job of writing, and it's, it's just getting more and more generic. I don't know what it is. I don't know if people are still kind of stuck in the 80s or 90s with their writing. That's what I think maybe that's why I went away from it, because I'm not, I'm not feeling the worlds that they're creating. I'm just looking at the worlds they're creating. And I think that's a real challenging part of this genre. Uh, Madara is about as close as you're going to get to decent writing because they went all in on that JRPG type feel. But uh, that's where I think the genre also probably needs to move forward is, is like, if you're going to have all this script and all these pages and all this stuff that you want to kind of flaunt about, I think the Dungeon Crawler verse, that thing, it needs a little polishing on that part, and especially with the characters, you know? And part of it, I mean, just going coming from a design publishing perspective is 
Are you really going to pay professional writers? A lot of times the writers for the story are the designers of the game. That's correct. And now you're talking about like a Ryan Lockett situation where he's got to be a great artist and a great game designer. And the intersection of those two, you know, it's hard to find. Yes. So, I mean, unless you're talking, there's not enough money in this industry to hire professional writers, professional artists, professional game designers, you know, professional publishers. Now you got to make all these components that are great because to compete in that dungeon crawl market, you have to have bling in that game, right? The art's got to be on point. You know, you got to have great miniatures. And so you got to pay those artists. I mean, look, we ran into this. I mean, this is this is discussions we had on our Dungeon Crawl game with the publisher. They're like, oh, yeah, if you want, we'll bring in a professional writer, this and that. And it never happened, right? Because now you're talking about getting the best artists in the industry and getting the best writers in the industry. And it's just, it's a lot. And, and the costs are so high. And what if it doesn't hit, right? Because there's so many games out there right now. What if it doesn't hit? I mean, there's a, there's a chance, a non-zero chance, that you can make the best game in the world and nobody's ever going to play it. Nobody's ever going to play it. That's, it's so true. I, I totally agree. At the same time, though, think about how many games come out and they all feel so samey. And I think that dungeon crawls are especially, especially, especially potential victims of feeling just like every other dungeon yep. crawl that's out there. Because, again, like I said at the beginning of the discussion, if somebody says, oh, it's a dungeon crawl, my brain immediately partially turned off. Because I don't, I want to know why it's different. Why did you just put it in with everything else on the planet? Sure. I was, uh, I was playing uh, Role Player Adventures, the one that's on Kickstarter right now. And while it doesn't do a ton different, it does a really good job of representing the role player universe. And it does these kind of cool little things where you kind of have team mechanisms with dice. Which is really neat. It's that part's neat. I shouldn't say gameplay wise. It's like it's awesome, but the writing was surprising to me. How good it was because they took you know what the common thing is now. This common thing of you know you 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 open storybook nine and then you go to this page and da 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 da, and it was just well written. And I think to myself, I'm just like to myself like you have to care about that. Like if there's a budget thing. You want people to read all this stuff you're trying to put together. Like uh, I played that Sheol that was on Kickstarter just like a couple back, and they really made a point to say, "Hey, we we're hired. We got this writing. We 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 have like seventy thousand words or something like that." And they kept saying like all these word counts and stuff like that and all their stuff. And I was thinking to myself like, they really leaned into it, and they want people to know that. And I think people respect that. I think people do. They do not value it until they have it. But it, it it keeps the game in the collection, and sometimes it actually covers up for some of the bad gameplay or the blah gameplay because it has you invested. Although I'd say role player adventures or role player tactics, whatever it is, it, that, that's an adventure game. That's definitely not a dungeon crawl. We played that the other day. Oh no, it's definitely not a dungeon crawl. But I, I was just I was just thinking of that kind of. But I, I'm just yeah, I'm saying overall, like it gets you, you, you get sold on it because. If it was just that, it'd be like, oh, we're just doing a cooperative dice game. Da, 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 da. But it's like, because this writing is so good and it's actually funny and it's silly. Yeah, for me, that's pretty close to a choose your own adventure game almost. I mean, almost a cooperative yeah. uh-huh. you yeah. know, version of a choose your own adventure. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, even you're not, you're not really doing a whole lot of combat and stuff. I mean, it's just very few roles, even. It's a lot of turn to page this and do this. Yeah. You know, what are your choices here? The skill checks. The skill checks. It's cooperative skill checks. 
I'm actually really curious about how this is gonna end up feeling. I'm I'm actually more excited as you talk about people leaning into good writing in games because it's going to take us to where I actually often have a lot of questions about. Okay, so is this a game? Should it have been a novel? Is you know how do you make a right. choose your own adventure right. game into a quote like a gamer's game? I don't know. I loved things like Legacy of Dragon Hall, but. It's a totally different vibe from some... Actually, I mentioned this earlier in the Gloomhaven conversation, right? That I play Gloomhaven for the game. I play Legacy of Dragonhold for the story. Is there going to be a true hybrid? Or, if you're spending all that time on all those words, should it have just been a book with a really good game companion? Or a game with a book companion? Or should it have just been a mediocre book? (laughs) (laughs) Mike and I talked about this in the past, too. It's hard to combine the two because... When you're playing a game, you can't break for 30 minutes to read a story and then be expected to immerse yourself back into the game. You're going to forget what's going on on the board and, and other things. So that's why a lot of times they have to lean into pre-mission text and post-mission text, which can easily be skipped, as Jeremy say. And after a while, you just get done with it, right? You can't have a half an hour right. break in the middle of a game because your players are going to lose where they are and you're going to lose the game elements. So I do think it's hard to do. Yeah, and it's never going to be evocative the way that, say, a video game cutscene can potentially be. Right. You know, I have all these really strong memories of playing, especially the Dragon Age series, because those cutscenes are so good. And I don't really remember a lot of what happened in between. I just remember really feeling moved by some of the cutscenes and then being really into the gameplay because it would lead me to the next cutscene. Yep. And I don't know if that's possible in a board game. It could be. I'm excited to find out. Yeah. So Liz, you said this is not your favorite genre of games, but there are some things that stand out to you that you do like. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that really sticks out to you in Dungeon Crawl, something that you want to see more of? I mean, just what I said before, what I want to see more of is good creative gameplay. I do not love games that are basically skill check games. You know, Legends Untold didn't do it for me. Pathfinder, the adventure card game, doesn't do it for me. Y'all are going to kill me, but Cthulhu Death May Die is fine. I enjoyed it on game night with my friends, but I did not want to go purchase it after I played it. Like I'm looking for, I want to feel like I did something really clever or strategic with my games typically. And that means that I need something really specific from dungeon crawlers because that's who I am as a gamer. Right. And it's just the way that it is. I think part of it too, though, is that, you know, I've been playing D and D on and off for over a year. I'm used to that kind of official part of my campaign D&D Dungeon Crawl, and it makes playing board game Dungeon Crawls feel different because they're not part of that context with the party that you formed with your friends. So there is a character attachment, and there is a story, and there is a reason why your characters do what they do. So do you think that's what attaches you to Gloomhaven, then? Do you think that's why that one stands out? I mean, mechanically, obviously, it's spectacular as well. But do you think that character progression does something to make you feel attached to your character? Yeah, I think in the case of Gloomhaven, it's partially because the gameplay is just so good, but it's also because of the way the characters grow. You know, you actually, just like you want to pick a new spell in D&D, or you want to, you know, decide what kind of new ability you're going to take or whatever, Gloomhaven gives you that same satisfaction and maybe even a more streamlined way because you get access to new cards, your character levels up, you know, eventually, the you know, characters retire, and that arc you know having to say bye to a character is horrible because you got so attached because you were enjoying the growth and you were enjoying that feeling of progress i also do typically like games that give me a sense of growth and progress overall so 
you know, those feelings of getting somewhere in a game and then getting somewhere with a specific character attach me to the game pretty much regardless of setting. I love fantasy theming because I like to read a lot of fantasy novels. But, you know, honestly, you could put Gloomhaven in space and I'd probably still like it because the gameplay's so good. <laughs> yeah. And the character yeah. development is so, so interesting. And it's interesting, though, because I wonder, because that's what I love about Cthulhu Death May Die is the character progression. You just get it in one game instead of over the course of, like, ten games. It, your character really changes a lot. Yeah, it changes. And, and I wonder, then, if it's not the fact that you like constant slow progression where you're constantly getting better after each game you're getting better you're getting better and the thing that cthulhu death may die might have left out for you is after you're done with that game you're done with that character you're done with that world you're done with that mission you know you're not going back to that character again so you got all this progression but where does it lead to what are you going to do with it which is nothing right it's almost like getting cut off right when you're at the peak of your powers and it's like wait no, I, I want, you know, I actually feel that way sometimes about engine builders that end a little bit too soon. I want to really be able to crank that engine a couple times before the game ends. Yeah, I feel you on that. I, I, I think Gloomhaven is just so rare. I was talking about that before. Like, I love this genre, but I don't play it. And for some reason, Gloomhaven just, I'm looking for, I was looking for something new. I was looking for that new refreshing thing that was going on, you know, like in this, in this genre. And I couldn't find it. And Gloomhaven came along. It set itself apart and thrusted its way up into the second favorite game of all time. But the thing is, is I think now, I just think some of that has moved over to adventure games. Like campaign games, you know, scenario-based games, but they're more adventure games now. Like I like Aftermath, Too Many Bones, Undertow, all these other games. They just do it better, and I feel like they have more of a chance to be innovative, while Dungeon Crawlers kind of like slowly have pigeonholed themselves and they just always feel samey and it's like it's very hard to change it up i'm hoping just because i played esophirian guard which is was on kickstarter last year they really leaned into making a lot of different things on both sides like really deep story but also a bag builder and but also rpg like that's what i'm looking forward to something so refreshing um and trying something new versus like I just feel like as much as I love this, we're still seeing some of the similar same things. And that's moving over to adventure games. The innovation is moving to the top side and not in the dungeon. So I guess that's where we're going. It's interesting. So, I mean, you do see, I mean, you definitely see innovation. Cthulhu Death May Die is not like anything that's been before it. But I think what we're looking for more like more of a, a big sweeping change, if I'm hearing, rather than... Yeah, just a big sweep. A little risk-taking, which I don't think everybody can do, right? You know? Uh, but I feel like it, it just needs to be something that's trying to... I mean, I can think of so many games that when we're talking about this, I'm like, oh, that's an adventure game. Oh, that's an adventure game. Yeah. You know? Like, that's that's the difference. It's like, uh, Too Many Bones would be the prime example of it's like, you're going on an adventure. Well, if I go on a dungeon crawl, I want to go on an adventure too. But... Yeah. Like, unless it's something that's like, well, there's the D&D series of games, like Tomb of Annihilation. It's a video game. It's a, It's got a combination of topside and, you know, both. Or the uh, Warhammer-type Black Fortress and things like that kind of combinations. But, like, it's still just dice-chucking skill check. You know, it's it's not innovative. It's just beautiful. Or it's just not like Orbadaro. Like I said, it's it's got some cool systems, and that's why I love it so much. But you're not getting anything innovative on the dungeon side or the, the scenarios. It's just like, get here and finish. You know, like kill everything and then leave 
I need something more. I need something more. And Gloomhaven is a victim of that too. So, you know, let's kill everything. I've just had a memory. This is a random memory, but I remember being in college and we were eating and somebody said, you know what? I was on the internet today and I found some Mega Man fan fiction. And one of them was like a one sentence story written from the perspective of a boss. And it said, I waited in a room for hours and then Mega Man came in and killed me. That's it. <laughs> so, I, don't know, I, I guess I was just thinking about it in terms of like, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the thing about Judge and Crawl. like, what is everybody even doing down there? Right. Why, why are you hiding away in your uh, back room? I mean, our dungeon's actually just like little underground clubs that you went and invaded. <laughs> right. They're sitting there jamming in the club, partying, dancing, drinking, getting their drink on. <laughs> dungeon Crawls are weird that way. And like the bosses, like, you know, like the Mega Man, you get to the final boss. And I was like, I used to, t- I tell people sometimes, hey, I'm waiting like a final boss. <laughs> like, just because it's like you're waiting forever. And I'm thinking like, that that is that is a the interesting thing. What is going on in these dungeons? What's going on until somebody turns the lights on? By the way, sometimes you gotta tur- turn on the torches to see everything. What are they doing? Yeah, that's that true. What are they doing? Like you gotta illuminate the whole thing, you know? Or I mean, that's true in D and D too. I just thought about that. Our last campaign is like yeah. you can't see anything. Well, then how's the enemy seeing stuff? <laughs> like what's going on? Right. They have dark vision. Nice. Up to 60 yeah. oh. feet. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, look at you, DM. Hey, you know what? Nice job, DM. Back there behind the screen. <laughs> Maybe this is a weird comparison, but it's kind of like how I don't watch as many movies anymore because I'd rather watch TV shows because I think they have better story arcs these days. I, I kind of feel like maybe adventure games or like the new Dungeon Crawl, if that makes sense. Where all the people who love that fantasy setting are kind of moving that and way. And I think we're blurring the lines a little bit too, right? You know, it's like Ameritrash versus oh, Euro totally. games. Like, I don't know that it's as obvious yeah. as it used to be what falls in what camp. And I think they're, I mean, I would hope at least that they're informing each other, you know, so that they both can progress, both genres. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is definitions are just messy in the first place, right? I think gamers have a hard time defining what is a gamer. I have a very loose definition of that. If you play games, sometimes you are a gamer. And, you know, other people want it to be more of an identity. Or, you know, even, yeah, like a Mary Trash Euro, War Game, Waro. You know, David Thompson talks a lot about War Game Euro hybrids. But, I mean, how do you even know what proportion of a game is what thing some people don't even call Gloomhaven a dungeon crawler. They call it a Euro game. Everything's a hybrid. Everybody has a different definition of this stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the lines are just getting blurred. All right. Well, Jeremy and Liz, thank you so much for joining us. I know we've uh, we've gone long tonight. I appreciate all your time. Before we get out of here, Liz, why don't we start with you? Where, where can people find you? Oh, I'm easy to find. You can find me anywhere on the internet as Beyond Solitaire. I am Beyond Solitaire on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, board game geek i just started a new podcast also called beyond solitaire and uh i also do reviews on the dice tower so if you see anything that's something something review with liz davidson that would be me and i would really appreciate it if you watched yeah check her out over there i know she's done a couple interviews with mike both on the dice tower youtube channel and on her podcast so go look out for those and the rest of her stuff as well obviously does a great job we're really a fan of your stuff that's why we uh, keep inviting you on Hey, it's Mutual. And how about you, Jeremy, where people can find you? 
Well, all my content lives on uh, Man vs. Beeple, so you can go to Man vs. Beeple Facebook page, which is where I have my Solo Sunday show. Uh, you also have uh, – that stuff gets reposted on our YouTube page, and I also do uh, previews and stuff on that page as well. You'll see some reviews coming soon. Excited about that. But, yeah, that's where all my content is going to be. You can also find me uh, at Jamba, Jamba like Jambalaya. It used to be my page, uh, PG uh, on uh, Twitter anywhere but jambalaya plays games is pretty much my tag everywhere i go although that's that's basically shut down <laughs> if you go to my jambalaya plays games youtube page it will send you links back to man versus people stuff so awesome <laughs> jeremy we love having you also we love your content that's why we keep having you on as well you know this is a, a great synergy it, it's funny we you know, we call ourselves the one-stop co-op shop, and I really feel like the cooperative game player base is such a cooperative community also. Like, it's it's such a fun community to be part of. Yeah, I'm happy we could get together, man. It's it, it, During this time, the time we're in, we definitely need to be together as much as possible. But it's just nice to see everybody, because we could get down in the dumps as content creators. I'm, I'm serious, guys. If you listen to this podcast... We do hang out. Like, we're not, like, against each other, you know, like, or, or at least we break bread together in person. Absolutely. No, I miss that. I miss that, guys. I, I'm, I'm sad about PAX U this year. I was actually literally just going to say that because we all had such a good time together last December, and it is crushing to me that that is not, I don't think that's going to happen this year. No, nope. I don't think it's going to happen. I know. You know what? There's always next year. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you in a couple weeks on the One Stop Co-op Shop. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. We, we've got the Liz fans, the Liz followers, trust me. It, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> but, all right, so my number we're, five. <laughs> yeah, we're going to – so before we get started uh, – so we're going to – so uh. – <laughs> Yeah. And even on the back, so the back of the rule book or the glossary, I don't think has anything. But when you look at the back of the room, uh, room haven, not room haven. I don't think that's a game. <laughs> that's the HGTV release. Nice. That's also a great idea that I'm putting in my back pocket for later. Oh, by the way, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy is here. Oh, he. I told him that I would let you, let him know when we finished our list because that seemed kind of a weird spot to hop in. So if you want to put him in for the dungeon half, we can get him in. All right, cool. Um, so let me figure out how to add him to their escape call. Or do you want to add him to the escape call? I don't know how. Oh, Jeremy is ready. Oh, that was to me? Yeah. <laughs> All right, hold on. All right, well, let's get into your final thoughts then on Gloomhaven, Jeremy. Uh, All right. Cool. So, well, no. no, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you already did it. You All right, whoa. All right. Hey, I just needed a transition to get us into that. Okay. Okay. Hey, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just crawling through my basement, and I think I saw a bugbear. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping this recording right now. <laughs> <laughs>